Good morning. We're reading from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 2 to 17, and it's on page 194 in the Red Pew Bible. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths, and commit yourselves to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtaroths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mitzvah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mitzvah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mitzvah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzvah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines slaughtering them all along the way to a point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns of Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on, to, on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzpah judging Israel in all these places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also judged Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned this morning, we are taking a, t a moment to breathe, to take a breath, to reflect, to remember. 
think uh, in our culture, in our church culture, it's something that we're not particularly good at. Whether uh, we in our lives, whether uh, in our church, we're just kind of always thinking about what's next, rushing forward at 100 miles an hour, running as fast as we can, thinking about what I have to do next. Instead of pausing and remembering, reflecting what has happened in this last week, what's happened in this last month, what's happened in the last season, the last year, the last few years of my life, what's, what themes are emerging, what do I have to be thankful for, how, is, how has God been gracious, what do I need to turn away from, what do I need to repent of, what do I need to confess, what relationships do I need to make right, what relationships do I need to be thankful for? It's healthy, it's wise to pause, to reflect. As you, in the story of the scripture, um, the Israelites, the people of God in the Old Testament, the chosen people of God, the people who knew and served the one true God, we see them as a people who are just so incredibly prone to forget. God will, will intervene in a, in a miraculous way. And, and they'll turn from their idols of serving these false gods and say again, yes, God, you are our God. We will serve you only. But in a matter of days, in a matter of weeks, in a, manner, in a matter of months or, or years, um, they are right back to forgetting about God. Forgetting what he's done, how he's provided, how he's come through for them, how he's been good to them. And they're right back where they were before. Loving other things, serving other gods, doing anything really but worshiping the one true God. You see, when we forget, when forgetfulness marks our lives, then we will inevitably have uh, the wrong hope, we'll put our confidence in the wrong things, and we'll revert to self-help plans. And so this is just one story, one example that Jake has read for us in the Old Testament scripture where um, the leaders that God has put in place or God himself says, remember what I've done here. I want you to remember this moment. I want you to remember how, how I've acted on your behalf. I want you to remember how I've been gracious to you. I want you to pause and I want you to remember. And I want you to pile a bunch of big rocks in place so that you won't forget. Don't forget what God has done. And then tell it to your kids and keep reminding yourselves, every time you pass by this big pile of rocks, remember how God acted on my behalf. Remember how God's been gracious to me. Remember how God has been faithful to his promises to me. And when your kids ask, hey, what's this big pile of rocks for? Tell them. Remind them. As you're walking along the road, as you're 
gathering around the table, remind them what God has done. These rhythms of remembering need to mark our lives. We're kind of at the unofficial end of the year. For many of us, if, our, if, our li- if your life is tied at all to the school schedule, to the school calendar, then this is the year end. And uh, in many ways, our church kind of follows those kinds of rhythms because, um, and, and even if you're not, uh, you're probably going to be uh, taking off for the next two months and, and you've set aside some holidays to enjoy some warm weather finally and uh, to get out in the sunshine and get outdoors and to see uh, some places, take some time of refreshment. The beginning of summer is a natural marker in our culture, a natural break for many of us. We thought it wise to pause, to reflect, to think. What has God done? What's God done among us as a people? What's he done in your life? And if I could say um, gently, I think we need to get better at this. We need to get better at sharing the stories of how God's working in our lives. I put it out there for the last couple of weeks. Hey, email me, text me. Let me know, talk to me. What's God done in your life this last year? Thanks to the one of you who replied. <laughs> I think we need to get better. We need to get better at sharing our story. And I don't mean that to shame or to, it's just as we remember, as we give testimony, as we share how God has been good, it builds faith in others. It builds confidence in others as well. He has been good to us. He's been faithful to his promises. He's been gracious to us. So how has he worked in your life this year? Think back to the last 12 months or so. How, what's he been saying to you? How's he been leading you? What promises have thrilled your heart? What disappointments have marked your life? What are the markers of your life this year? If you didn't text or email me or talk to me about that, it's okay. You have connection time in a few minutes. You can share with someone. We're having a barbecue afterwards. We're sharing a meal together. Let's be intentional about actually asking someone, hey, what's God been saying to you recently? How's he been good to you? What's he doing in your life? Because here's the truth. When you forget what God has done in the past, you think that you have to be God for him in the future. When you forget what God has done in the past, you think that you have to be God for him in the future. You begin to think, I made me who I am. My success, yeah, that's on me. My accomplishments, those are mine. My wealth, I built that. My business, my family, they're mine. And I'll take credit for them. Thank you very much. When you forget what God has done in the past, how he's come through for you, 
in times of crisis where he's forgiven your sin, where he's filled you with his spirit, where he's encouraged you with a promise from his word. When you forget that, what happens is pride fills our heart and we think, well, I better buck up again because I got through this last one on my own. When we forget what God's done in the past, we think we have to be God for him in the future. So what has God done in your life this year? What's he done in your life? I want to share a few mile markers for our family here at Cornerstone. But I want to press in a little bit more. I want to press in on you personally. What, what has he done? What's he teaching you? And if you say, man, I, I don't know. I can't remember the last time he's done anything in my life. Would you allow that to be an opportunity to return to him and say, Lord, I, I want to see you active in my life again. I want to experience your presence in a new way, in a fresh way. I want to hear your voice in a fresh way. I want to hear your word to me in a fresh way. I want to experience you coming through in a fresh way again. I don't want my relationship to be with you to be something about that was a then and a there. I want it in the here and the now. So what are a few mile markers for our community? I want to acknowledge... uh, in the last year, we've had a new uh, Sunday school leadership structure that has been in, in all volunteer-led. That's been incredible. We're going to recognize one of them a little bit later because she's serving over there right now. But um, I want to just publicly thank and acknowledge Brune Gosen, Amber Dick, Jay Berg, Alicia Thiessen, Janiel Croker, these incredible volunteers who's given leadership in particular areas that's really freed up in some ways our staffing to do other things and focus in on other things, not that kids aren't important, but these, we're recognizing that God has given these incredibly gifted leaders who love kids to, uh, to serve our community. We, we see Brune and Amber J, Alicia, Janiel, and the dozens and dozens and dozens of volunteers who are serving with them as really God's gift, God's provision for us. And we acknowledge him. We acknowledge him as raising up leaders among us. Speaking of raising up leaders among us, we're thankful in this past year that Matt has joined our pastoral team, that Josh has joined our pastoral team in a full-time capacity as well. I think back to um, years of searching, of praying, of asking the Lord to provide someone, to call someone. And he's provided in a really beautiful way. We're so thankful. We see Josh as a young man who, who's so teachable, who's growing, who's, um, who's wise beyond his years, who loves kids, who's going to be able to build, with God's grace, a, a youth ministry that will really have an impact in Niagara. 
that will have a significant impact on our church community and the community beyond. I think of how the Lord set up a quote-unquote chance meeting between Matt and I last July in the wee hours of the morning in a hotel lobby. Don't ask why we were there. It was church work. <laughs> it was. And, and four or five, five people around a table and the Lord really just brought clarity to he, he and I that this was something that that this partnership and, and joining the team here at Cornerstone was something that he was calling us to. And thankful for the discerning process that Matt and Christina and our church had over the next number of months. But God's provided. He's answered our prayers, not in the time that we wanted. We wanted it three years ago, but in his time, he answered. He's provided. I think of... Uh, a number of people who've moved to the community. The Niagara region, as you, as you probably, some of you follow the real estate markets more than the stock markets, realize that there's uh, an incredibly, uh, incredible new number of people moving into Niagara, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Virgil, St. Catharines, Niagara Falls, and uh, some of them are sitting beside you right now. And there's a lot of new faces in this community, in this room, in this church, and beyond. And we, when we say, what is God doing? Well, there's an influx of people. A lot from the GTA, and we want to welcome. We want to be a welcoming community who serves, who understands. So we have connection time. We have a barbecue after. Meet someone new. And not only greet them like surface level, but say, hey, We'd love to have you over for a meal sometime. Welcome you here. Love to get to know you. Lots of new folks. Lots of new faces. We think we had a church retreat last October, which was a, a profound time for many of us. Great signs of, of life in our church community. We've had hard things. We've had hard things. If you think back of this past year, we've had... Um, what we would call tragic events. We walked with a young man, Darren. Just over a year ago, was diagnosed with cancer. And six months later, the Lord called him home. Darren was doing an internship here at Cornerstone and had a heart for serving others, had a heart for worship. A beautiful young man, kind and compassionate, in his early 20s, walking with his parents and walking with him. Many of us walked that road and, and, and we're really shaken up in, in late November as he passed away, as we were kind of forced to remember what's life really about? What's life about? Can my life be fulfilling if I die at 21? Can my life have meaning if in the next six months I'm gone? Remember, as he was deteriorating, we had a worship and prayer night, a powerful night, where the community just unleashed generosity. We took an offering to help with medical expenses and just went like blown away by the response. 
so much so that we've been able to bless others because it was way more than was needed. So we've blessed other families, not part of our church, who are struggling with cancer, been able to give money to, to research. And we prayed, we worshiped, asked the Lord to heal him, and three or four days later, he passed away. We wrestled with those questions. Why, Lord? Why didn't you hear our prayers? Why didn't you answer in the way that we wanted? Why didn't you act like we desired? What were you doing? We said farewell to our previous pastor, leader Vic Lowen, this year. as he deteriorated over a much more longer period of time. And he walked with grace to the end. We've had a new spirit in our prayer summits. We gather monthly in this room to pray, to cry out to God on behalf of ourselves, our church community, our community and our world. When, as we began this year, we, we said the theme of this year is the invitation that God says to us in the Psalms to seek his face, and our response is, your face, Lord, I will seek. We pray, cried out, revive us again, Lord, in September. And there's been a growing movement Sunday evenings, and I would exhort you, encourage you, if you haven't come, to give it a try. That prayer and corporate prayer is the mark of God's people. That a community that's set apart for God, scripturally, biblically, is marked by prayer. And so I'd encourage you to come out. So encouraged by the movement and so filled with anticipation for what God is doing and will do among us. So we've been looking back. What's he done? What's he done in your life? What's he done in your life? He's been faithful to us as a, as a family. He's been faithful to your family, I'm sure, because he's a faithful God. So looking forward... Looking forward, where do we find our confidence as a church? So we look forward to the future. What can fill us with faith? Well, first of all, how God's been gracious to us. And as we look back, and I love to look back through some of the historical pictures of what God's done on this property in the last 70 or 80 years to understand the flow of, of his work here. But ultimately, we believe our hope, our confidence is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That our hope that um, our church will continue to flourish and flourish in new and better ways is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ lives among us. That Christ lives in you. And so our strategy as a church 
increasingly it aims our aspirations is that not that you would bring your friends to the pastors so that we can disciple them and share Jesus with them, but that you would be equipped to be a minister, to, to share Christ, the Christ that, who lives in you. That the life of Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. And when the life, things that are alive multiply. Isaiah 61 is a, is a beautiful passage of scripture. It's, we know, if you know the scriptures, you know that Jesus quoted this at the beginning of his ministry. He quoted the first few verses. But it goes on and it says, talking about the people of God, says they will re- rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They'll renew the ruined cities and, that have been devastated for generations. You'll be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. I don't know if you think of yourself as a minister. Some of us grew up in uh, maybe church traditions where it was the paid person, it was the clergy, it was the, the staff member that was called the minister. But really the pastors, the leaders are equippers of the ministers. That we are all ministers, priests, which means go-betweens, which means we bring God to the people. We bring God to the people. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I hope that in the future, in increasing ways, that we will think of this as our church. That we have an ownership stake here. That we think of, um, that we take on individually and corporately the responsibility of being the church. Some of you, I know, own, uh, own rental homes. And um, like the stories, right, of, are, are almost legendary of um, the condition that you get your home back when renters, when you have a change in renter. So run, one renter has been there for a number of years and um, they, they move out and, and now you need to kind of rehabilitate the home because they have sucked the life out of it. I know in our home, we, we own our, we're gracious, or we own part of our home, I guess. The bank owns the rest. But um, as an owner of your home, you, what you try to do is you try to make it better, right? Every year, you've got little projects, and you're just little by little trying to improve it and keep it up and maintain it, repair. Something breaks, something, you repair it. You, um, you try to um, maybe make it look nicer. You try to, you try to make it more functional, you're trying to pour life in. You're trying to, to, to build it up. See, there's a difference between it being a renter and an owner. An owner. You're either sucking life out of it or you're making it better. And I would encourage us, to th- as we think about Cornerstone Community Church, I'd encourage you to, to ask, and even as we think through some of these things about the future, and I'm going to walk us through a passage, but what can I, want, I encourage you to think, what can I own? What can I own here? How can I have, have an owner mentality instead of a renter mentality? Jesus used the, the, uh, the analogy of the difference between an owner and a hireling like in, in a shepherd. Like if the shepherd who owns the flock cares for them in a qualitatively different way than just a hireling, who's been hired out to, to watch over them, right? A shepherd will lay down his life for the flock, but a hireling's going to run away at any threat 
and any sense of danger. Doesn't have enough skin in the game. It's not worth giving my life for. How can we have an ownership mentality of our church? What can you own? Think about that as, as we go through some of this. And I, I was drawn this week to First um, uh, Peter chapter 2, partly because it says cornerstone in the, in the passage, but, but it's a great passage on what a church is and, and who the church is. So in First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, Rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to him. We're precious. Jesus is precious to the Father. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. There it is again. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As it says in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. He says, as you come to him. we think about the future and what God might be calling us to or calling you to, maybe he's calling you to come to him, to come back to him. Maybe it's the very first time where he's actually calling you to believe in Jesus, to put your faith in him, which is more than just a belief that, yeah, I believe up here, you know, I believe Jesus is significant. But to stake your life in him, that's what, that's what belief in him means. It's staking your life that what he says is true, that what he says about this world is really the way things are, that really he really is the Lord, that really he really is Savior, that he really is the one who can forgive me of my sin and restore me to the Father, that he really will return and usher in his kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace. That I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to. Maybe Jesus is calling you to believe in him, to stake your life on him. Or maybe you've believed in him, but you're, you've kind of walked away from that. You're not really living for him. You're not really living as though it's true. You're not really actively, currently trusting, staking your life on him. Maybe he's calling you to be baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've believed in Jesus, the call on you is to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not a sign for the super mature. It's a sign for those who have begun that walk of following him. We'd love to walk with you towards baptism. You can talk to, talk to me or talk to one of the pastors, and we'll help set up a relationship with, for you and with you towards that. As you come to him, maybe, maybe, you, maybe the call is for you to invite others to him. To invite someone to know Jesus. To share. Some of us, the call might be to show up here. The writer of Hebrews says to not neglect the gathering together with other believers. Gently, again, we, I'd say that a trend for us would be that there's, a little bit, there's more twice a month attendance going on. Once a month, twice a month, as opposed to three or four times a month. And again, I know lives are busy, things are happening. But choice, life is choices. 
Consider, consider, maybe this is a moment to reflect and to say, well, I need to show up. I need to be here. I need to hear God's word. I need to hear the gospel weekly because my heart is prone to forget. And I'm prone to wander and I need to hear the gospel every week. Again and again. As you come to him, again, we want to be a praying church. In increasing ways, we want to be a church who prays. That what marks us is that we pray together. I know personally, Acts 6.4 is, is increasingly desire, is defining my ministry. Where the apostles say, we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Or actually, I, mix, I always mix that up. It's to prayer and the ministry of the word. I'm going to devote myself to prayer and the ministry of the word. I'd love to pray with you for your friends to come to know Jesus. I'll add them to my list and pray for them every single day. Share with that. Who are you inviting to know Jesus? I would love, as a pastor, as as a leader, I know our elders or other pastors would, would love to join you in praying for them. Come to our prayer summits. Let's pray that God would break in. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, we're being built into a spiritual house, offering, he says, spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean? Well, Romans 12:1 says to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, pleasing and acceptable. That's our spiritual act of worship, is coming to him and saying, here I am, I'm on the altar. Here I am, command me. I'm here. My gifts, my time, my talents, my treasure, they're here at your disposal because you're the king. You're my king. You're my Lord. I'm here. And so how can you serve? Ask yourself, how can I serve with the gifts that I have? How can I serve our community? How can I serve the community of, of Cornerstone Community Church? How can I serve the community beyond? How can we make it better as opposed to being, sucking the life out of it? As citizens in the region of Niagara, how can we make it better? How can we improve it? How can we be owners, have an ownership stake in our community to seek its flourishing, to seek its good? That's really been the driving force behind um, our conversations we've been having in the last year or so about our building, our facility, this property here, is that our desire is that the community would see this as um, for their good, for the good of the region of Niagara, that it, this, this building would become a blessing, that this the community, the wider community, would see this as their building that has a church that happens to meet in it on Sunday. How can I serve? How can we serve? How can we use our gifts How can we use the assets entrusted to us to serve? I said already we can share stories that encourages the community as we share what God's doing. Peter goes on, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. 
Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What's God calling us to? What's God calling you to? To be a holy nation. To be a holy nation. A people set apart. A people who belong to God. As we look forward, we want to increasingly together wage war on sin in our lives. We want to put sin to death in our lives and in our community. We want to count ourselves dead to sin. As your pastor, I need to, I need to speak frankly. One besetting sin of smaller communities, smaller churches, is often gossip, using our tongue to do damage, doing damage with our words. And friends, Cornerstone is not immune from that. Cornerstone's not immune from damaging words. Gossip's a form of superiority where you say, how could they? I would never. Where someone does something you don't like, and then you talk to others about it, that, does, that is ravaging on community. I need to say that. That if someone does something you don't like, talking to others about it ravages community. Because here's, here's what I think. I don't know if anyone's like this, but um, there's a contact I have in one of the sports leagues. Um, and, and he all, all, every time I talk, he talks to me, he's putting down another coach, that I, and I'm a coach. And he walks away, and I always think, huh, I wonder what he says about me to all the other coaches. When someone does something you don't like, and then you then talk to others about it, the question that, and the, the, the uncertainty is like, oh, what are, they say, what are you saying about me behind my back? And so trust is eroded and diminished, that's, it's called triangulation, right? If someone does something I don't like, I'll talk to the third party about it. That triangulation is ungodly and it's sinful. It makes us feel vindicated if we can get others to be upset with that person too. But what we're doing is we're tearing down a brother and sister made in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so here's our aspiration, that as a church, we talk to each other, not about each other. At Cornerstone Community Church, we talk to each other, not about each other. That's our aspiration. And friends, communication in the church is not anonymous. That's not okay. 
Anonymous communication is not communication. And that, there's a, there's a and to be frank, and I, and I want to own this, and I want to repent of this as a leader in this church, that anonymous communication is something that goes back a, a while here. And we need to end it. We need to repent of it. I haven't shared this too often, but when I was candidating to be pastor here, I got an anonymous letter that was meant to tear me down and rip me up. And I thank the Lord every day for Jake Wisher, who took that letter and burned it in the fireplace, in the fireside Google office, whatever that is. He burned it and said, that has no place. I don't know if the person who wrote that letter to me is in the room. I want you to know I forgive you, and I've prayed for you many, many times. Anonymous communication is not communication. Communication goes two ways. Communication must go two ways. You cannot speak without also being willing to listen. And if you want to communicate anonymously, you are saying, I am going to speak, but I will not listen. So let me exhort us, as your pastor, in love, I love you. Let us love one another. And let's believe the best about each other. And let's talk to each other, not about each other. If God's word to you today is cutting you to the heart, it's cut me to the heart because I'm not immune from this. My message isn't shame or guilt. My message isn't even just stop it. I want to lead us to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross of the, and see the Lord Jesus hanging on a cross where he did not open his mouth and condemn those who deserved it. But he was silent before his accusers so that you and I, who deserve to be accused, could be blessed. Because Jesus kept his mouth shut. And he kept his mouth shut for you. And when he finally did open his mouth, what did he say? Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. He spoke good words over you. And he didn't wait for you to come and ask for forgiveness. He spoke it out ahead of time and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So when you remember that when you opened your mouth and you tore down instead of built up, when you cursed someone instead of blessed them, when you spoke about someone instead of to them, remember Jesus has already spoken your forgiveness. And right now he's in the presence of God the Father and he's speaking good words over you. He's saying, remember, Father, I died for them. I died for that sin. Remember, Father, forgive them. I know they keep doing it, but Father, forgive them again. He's speaking good words to the Father. So when you can't control your tongue, receive Jesus who did. And when you see Jesus who was silent before his accusers, when he, when he didn't speak the condemning word when he could have, you say, oh, why do I keep doing this when you keep blessing me, when you keep speaking words of blessing to me? So hear grace. Hear grace in this exhortation.
your grace. A holy nation, a chosen people, a people belonging to God. How else are we looking forward to the future? We want to see many, many more of you join groups, life groups. We want to see them turned towards being missional groups where we're loving each other, serving others. Maybe God's calling you to join a group this year. You can talk to Matt about that. Maybe God's calling you to step outside of your group to start a new one and lead a new one because that's another need. Maybe God's calling you to say, you know what, Cornerstone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to become an owner here. I'm putting down roots. It's going to be my church. I saw in the bulletin, put an insert of a bunch of people who have joined, are joining Cornerstone officially today. So thankful for John and Gloria and Constantine and Sherry and Ronnie and Mary John and Pat, Jessica Evans is not able to be here today. But we bless you. We welcome you. Their pictures are in here, so if you don't know them, seek them out in connection time over the barbecue. Welcome them. Get to know them. Their stories are here, so you can read a little bit about what God has done in them in the past. But we're so thankful for each of you joining our, the Lord, bringing you to join here. And maybe God's calling you to join and say, you know, I've been here a while but I'm actually going to commit. I'm going to covenant. If that's something that maybe God's calling you to, I'd love to chat with you about that. Maybe God's just calling you to a next level. And we have these cards here, and as the offering bag passes by in our worship time, you can put them in. Maybe God's calling you to serve in, in an area and use your gifts to serve others. We have a serve card. Maybe God's calling you just to Learn more about Cornerstone or learn more about some of our, our ministries here and, and, and explore further. Or maybe this is like you're brand new here and you just need to connect. Use the green card. If you just want to start getting our emails and maybe, maybe meet with one of the, someone to talk about the church, okay? No pressure, but these are there. You can, put, you can fill those out as well. Jesus builds his church, brothers and sisters. Jesus builds his church. Let's look to him. We want to engage in faith in him as we look to the future. We don't know what it all, what it all entails, but we want to put our trust in him, our Savior, our Lord. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have our connection time. But um, can I give you two encouragements for connection time? The first is I need a couple of guys or a bunch of guys to maybe help move some tables because we're doing a barbecue outside. If you go downstairs, we have a table room, and we need about six or seven round tables out on the grass out there and a few stacks of chairs so some folks can have a table and chair to eat at if you didn't bring your lawn chair. Um, so that's one thing you could do during connection time. It, if 10 of us go down there, it'll take about three minutes. Um, the other thing again, is to connect and actually connect. Ask someone, what did God do in your life? What's, what's he teaching you? What's he, what's he showing you? And what part will you own? What part God calling you to own of Cornerstone? Ask each other, connect. So in our connection time, we do have coffee at the back. Coffee is a great thing that, it's just a great thing, but it, it's also a great way to build connection over coffee. 
Connection goes better over coffee. It really does. Um, we have that at the back. We're going to get our kids. We're going to bring here. We're going to respond in worship and praise and thanksgiving. We're going to have a barbecue, have a few announcements. So pray with me. Father, we thank you that you build the church through your son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we acknowledge you as being gracious to us, as being kind and good. And we ask, Father, that you would lead us as a church. And Lord, that you would lead us individually to know how to, what parts we can own, how we can act like an owner around here and pour life into this body instead of being those who suck life out. So walk with us. Lord, if you've spoken words of correction over us, give us the grace to receive that, to walk in newness of life, to restore relationships. And so, Father, come and, come and meet with us. Continue to meet with us as we connect with each other now. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our connection time.